Let's read uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, and then we'll begin. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred, nothing, I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive, me as you, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, let me... Uh, <clears throat> Impose upon Ronnie, if you would open us in prayer this morning. Our Father, we come to you this morning as uh, sinners uh, in need of thy grace, in need of thy mercy, uh, tender watch care over your flock. We come approaching the Holy Word of God this morning that we might learn. So we pray that our eyes might be opened by your Spirit to illumine the Word, that you would grant power to Jay as he brings forth teaching this morning, we might um, grow thereby, we might be nourished and strengthened in our faith and our walk with you. 
We're thankful for this time, this place that you have provided. And may we, um, as your people, um, do the things that resound unto the glory of God. It begins with the scripture and learning it. And so we're thankful for this opportunity. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're back in uh, the letter to Philemon. It's uh, a short uh, letter, but there is just so much to draw out of it, I think, and to learn and to apply in our own Christian life. Uh, just a quick review. Um, last time we saw Onesimus is a long way from where he's supposed to be. A long way from the house of Philemon, his master. But Onesimus is a changed man. He has been born again under Paul's ministry in Rome. We noted a couple of lessons here last time. One, Onesimus set out with a plan when he ran away from Philemon. But God, who is sovereign, directed Onesimus' steps to Rome and specifically to Paul. But something we didn't know, and here again is the value of getting the scalpel out um, and the microscope. Look again at verse um, 15. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while. Well, don't pass over that word, perhaps. We don't always know for certain what God is doing in providence and in our circumstances. Let me give you a quote from Alexander McLaren, uh, who was writing... Uh, over 100 years ago in Scotland. He said, perhaps is one of the hardest words for minds of a certain class to say, both in regard to all such subjects and to many more. It is the motto of the wise man and the shibboleth which sifts out the patient, modest, lovers of truth from rash theorists and precipitate, precipitate dogmatizers. Again, he's talking about this word perhaps. He says a humble perhaps often grows into a verily, verily, and a hasty, overconfident verily, verily often dwindles into a hesitating perhaps. So he says, let us not be in too great a hurry to make sure that we have the key of the cabinet where God keeps his purposes, but content ourselves with perhaps when we are interpreting the often questionable ways of his providence, each of which has many, many meanings and many ends. There are so many things that go on in the providences of a day. Uh, and it's not always clear why. And sometimes when we think we have it with clarity, God does something totally unexpected. 
so perhaps is a good word to use when you're thinking about what is God doing in my life. And very often it won't be till sometime later when you're looking back that the perhaps becomes truly, truly, this is what God was doing. Because we don't have the keys that open up the cabinet of his wise counsel. And very often, the providences of circumstances that sweep you into a day really aren't much about you. <laughs> it's about someone else. <coughs> so I think that's wise and helpful uh, to think about. So if, you're, if you underline your Bible, uh, perhaps is a good word to note there. Okay, so Onesimus is a new creation in Christ. He is a free man in Christ. It's another lesson. Uh, but there's another lesson that we didn't touch on, really, or focused upon. It's the lesson that the Lord often works in small, inconspicuous, and unnoticed places. You think about all the things going on in Rome in the day of Onesimus and Paul. Practically the center of, <laughs> of all the uh, major geopolitical events of the day. Um, and yet, here you have Onesimus meeting Paul in a place where the world takes no notice. Okay? Well, one of the points there is don't be discouraged if you live and minister in relative obscurity. Though the world might not take notice, heaven sees, the angels see, and the direct recipients of your ministry see. And that's enough. Okay. So what happens to Onesimus next? <clears throat> He's a new convert with new companions, but there's still an issue that needs to be dealt with. And what is that? Huh? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's this issue with his earthly master. As long as Onesimus is in Rome with Paul, there is something of a cloud over himself and his Christian testimony. So Paul is going to send him back. I don't know that Onesimus necessarily would have said, hey Paul, uh, it's been great being with you, but... I've got this thing that's just nagging my conscience and I've got to go back. Perhaps. I think it's more likely that Paul would have said, Onesimus, you have become a very dear friend to me. Um, but Philemon's a dear friend too. And, and this, this issue needs to be cleared up. Uh, and you need to go back. He may have had that conversation with Philemon. Uh, I, could, I could compel you to go with apostolic authority. You gotta go back for love's sake. You wonder, I mean, what was the conversation? 
um, because I want it to be of your own accord and not of compulsion. Because when you do that, you go back with a totally different um, attitude. Um, uh, and expectations, maybe. So, I mean, I, again, it's just speculation. Uh, but at some point, because he goes, they had to think through it, okay? And as they think through it, uh, Paul is going to do some things for Onesimus. He's not going to send Onesimus back alone, okay? And that's going to be very important, I think, for Onesimus. He's going to send Onesimus back uh, in the company of another Christian, okay? So, <clears throat> there is a well-known associate of Paul. His name is Tychicus, and... I should say that more boldly, and <laughs> I'm just hoping that's the right pronunciation. I thought about asking Ronnie, uh, why don't you read this, <laughs> this verse and let him have a go at it, and then we would just stick with his. But um, you'll find this faithful brother and close associate of Paul in a couple of places in the, in the Bible. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. And part of what's going on here in Acts 20 is Paul is making his way back to Jerusalem. And he is with several um, traveling companions. Uh, and they're listed in the first part of Acts 20. And you'll notice there in verse 5, there's our man, uh, Tychicus. Okay, so he is going to go with Paul in this group back to Jerusalem. So he's a fairly prominent, well-known uh, believer. Um, <clears throat> we can go to um, Titus chapter 3. Uh, he's mentioned there again. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. Um, oh, sorry, I'm in Timothy. So. Um, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me. He's saying to Titus. And then in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, where he mentions um, <clears throat> Luke alone is with me. Uh, he sent Titus to Dalmatia and uh, this man, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. 
Okay, so we see him in several places. But now what's going to happen uh, with Onesimus? Paul is going to send uh, this man, Tychicus, with Onesimus. Back, now remember your geography. They're in Rome. You're looking this way. I should start over here. They're in Rome, and they're going to track all the way back to um, Asia. And they're going to stop off at a couple of churches. Ephesus. Uh, and the church in Colossians. Perhaps Laodicea. And they're bearing these letters from Paul to the churches. Okay, let's look at that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Would someone read for us Ephesians 6, verses 21 to 22? So that you also may know how I am, what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he might encourage your hearts. Okay. Now keep your finger there because you can see almost the same words in Colossians <clears throat> chapter 4. And if someone would read verses 7 to 9. Colossians 4 verses 7 to 9. will tell you about all my activities. He is beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of us, one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Okay. So, um, again, the same ministry... They're going to carry the letter to the church. Um, and they're going to tell the church all that is going on with Paul in Rome so that the church might know how uh, they are doing there. <clears throat> Onesimus is not mentioned, <clears throat> pardon me, in Ephesians, but he's with Tychicus there, or Tychicus. Um, because they're, geographically, you've got to pass through Ephesus before you go on east to uh, Colossae. So Onesimus is with him, and they have the same ministry in, to the church in uh, uh, Colossae too, as they did with the church in Ephesians. But now Onesimus is mentioned by name in this uh, travel group. And note the word they in Colossians 4, verse 7. Okay? It's a joint ministry. Onesimus was not just a tag-along standing quietly in the corner. No, Paul lifts Onesimus out of obscurity and gives him a part in the ministry of reporting to the churches. 
mentioning him by name in the letter to the church in his hometown. So Onesimus has become another one of Paul's fellow laborers. Remember, we've seen that phrase in the letter to Philemon, my fellow laborer, my fellow soldier, my fellow worker, my fellow prisoner, right? Now Onesimus is in that group and in something of a prominent position too. Well, think about what Paul is doing when he lifts up the most obscure Christian men and women and equates their work with his. Okay, let me give you another quote from Alexander McLaren. He says, this is Paul's gracefully affectionate way of lifting these good people's humbler work out of its narrowness by associating it with his own. They in their little sphere and he in his wider were workers at the same task. The one lived a Christian life and helped some humble saints in an insignificant remote corner. That specifically is Philemon. Okay? The other, Paul, flamed through the whole uh, of civilized Western world and sheds light even to, to today. But the obscure, twinkling uh, tapper and the blazing torch were kindled at the same source, shone with the same light, and were parts of one great whole. Our narrowness, in terms of not thinking, but narrow in terms of our place in ministry, uh, is rebuked, our despondency cheered, our vulgar tendency to think little of modest, obscure service rendered by commonplace people, and to exaggerate the worth of the more conspicuous is, is corrected by such a thought. However small may be our capacity or sphere, <clears throat> And however solitary we may feel, we may summon up before our eyes of faith a mighty multitude of apostles, martyrs, toilers in every land and age as ours, and our, uh, even our fellow workers. The field stretches far beyond our vision, and many are toiling in it for him, the Lord, whose work never comes near ours. There are differences of service, but the same Lord. And all who have the same master are companions in labor. Therefore, Paul, the greatest of the servants of Christ, reaches down his hand to obscure Philemon, and I would add Onesimus, and says of them, he works the work of the Lord as I do. I just think that's really encouraging, uh, particularly here in a small church. There's another quote he gives, Alexander McLaren. He says, The first man who dug a shovel full of earth for the foundations of Cologne Cathedral, and he who fixes the last stone on the topmost spire a thousand years later are fellow workers in that building. Well, think about that. You know, um, one of the ministries that Joni and I support is New Life Ministries. It was started back in 1950 with some group of men and women 
who saw a valley and thought, this can become something. A valley set apart for the glory of God. And now that we're, those, those men and women are gone. They're all dead. But new people have come in and helped. Uh, new buildings have gone up. Some have come down. Uh, and we're, we're all fellow workers. And I think of having a connection. I didn't start the, the, the camp. I wasn't there. But I'm part of what those men and women began. I'm just helping to put another brick in the, in the wall, right? And there's a, a, a lesson there too. You don't have to go looking. Thank God for people that start ministries. It takes a certain type of person to start something. Uh, but you don't always have to start something. Find a ministry that's already there that you connect with and, and join in the service. And you've got a hand in that ministry. Um, yeah. think, think of this. Oh, yeah, Ronnie. I'm sorry. I just remember the value of what Paul's doing there, you know, to, to encourage Onesimus and others that have fairly new to the faith and yet have, have shown the evidence that they're truly God's. You know, when but about 25 years ago, there was a man that became my mentor, and as, as a young preacher that didn't really know, you know, up from down, he would always put his arm around me, encourage me, and in public, or when I was preparing to preach, or among other ministers that I respected, he would speak in elevated terms of me. He wasn't over-speaking my abilities, but he would say, this is a fellow servant of the Lord, this is a man called preach. And that made me feel so good to be in that company, and encourage me rather than saying, well, but you've got a long ways to go. You, know, you may never make it. Yeah, that's <laughs> so right. It really is encouraging uh, when, when someone who has mentored you or you um, in a healthy admiration uh, appreciate what <coughs> they are doing and you'd like to emulate them will take notice and say, and publicly say, this guy or this this woman is really doing great work. Um, it's healthy for a lot of people. It's healthy for the person that seems to be more visible. Um, it's healthy for those that are being ministered to. I think of Joni's efforts with the Oklahoma Family Network. They're all, everybody out in the agencies are saying, oh, you know, you are OFN. And she's saying, I'm not. <laughs> there are other people working here, and you need to let them uh, do their good work too. Um, and it's just the way we think, you know. Um, I try to practice this in our business. So if I'm out with some fellow workers um, or we meet somebody I'm introducing, I, God forbid I'd ever say, hey, this is uh, Ronnie. Ronnie works for me at America. I wouldn't say that. I would say... This is Ronnie. Uh, we work together at American Bank Systems, right? It's totally different how you how you present that. Um, <clears throat> you think of our own ministry here. I thought specifically of our sanctuary and the and the, the people that built that. 
Paul's not here, but I would have said, Paul has added, and he's a fellow <laughs> construction worker on this building and this one too. And you see his work in the pulpit and what he did with the chancel and all those things. Um, and yet, remember, the church is not brick and mortar. Um, it's all the things that we do here. Um, so be encouraged. Uh, nothing really is done in obscurity because God sees and he will reward your faithful service. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, uh, it, to me, it would like to uh, all of that from First Corinthians And so uh, this uh, expository preaching conference uh, that Ronnie went to, or think of our own uh, Warfield lectures. We bring in this speaker who is kind of the prominent focus, but everyone that plays a part from book table to... um, Administration, brochures, prayer are engaged in ministry. They're, are, they are really, that's your ministry. The, the Warfield lectures are your ministry, okay? It's not like we're all down here, right? And then the man comes in and presents and everyone oh my gosh, that was the greatest set of lessons. Well, I mean, no one else really knows about all the work that goes on to prepare that is, is, is really the hard work. I remember reading something about prayer, uh, and the author said, it doesn't take much to come in and light the fuse to the TNT once it's all been laid, which is what the speaker does, essentially. It's all the things to prepare the setting off of that, that TNT that is really the hard work, and that was including prayer. So pray for the ministries here that God would bless. And uh, It's a quiet, unnoticed work, um, but it is service. Um, and then all the other things done to support the ministries here. Uh, cleaning a bathroom. I mean, it, it, it all has to work together. It's like, again, I, I use New Life Ranch a lot as, as examples. So they have these high-profile um, places of service. The counselors in the cabins with the kids, right? Get sort of the, the the light focused on them, but they've got summer staff working in the kitchen, right? And I'm telling you, camp doesn't run unless the kitchen is running well, okay? But they don't get the the light. Um, So, yeah.
you know, wasn't very important. And when he came to the point, if she wasn't doing what she's doing, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. And that blessed my heart. I said, well, well praise God, he appreciates what I'm doing. He yeah. recognizes I'm doing something. And so it, I would hope it caused our kids to start uh, looking at it. Maybe there is something to this. Yeah. yeah. I heard uh, Alistair Begg ask, ask an interesting question about Christian service. If you didn't show up one week, what would not get done? What wouldn't get cleaned? Who wouldn't get thought about? Who wouldn't get prayed for? Who wouldn't tap the notes on the piano or the organ? Those, those are things to think about. For you, what wouldn't get done if I wasn't doing it? In the grace of God, if he takes people in and out of ministries and he raises people up and he moves them on, calls them home, other people will, will, will fill the void, but there will be a void to be sure. And even if it's just the handshake, who, whose hand wouldn't get shaken? What visitor wouldn't get greeted? Um, again, who, who would go unthought of? Who would not go prayed for? Those are, that, those are ministries. Uh, we would know Phil is absent because we would all be sitting there with expectant hearts and the pulpit would be silent. But I remember many years ago, many years ago, when, when Phil was prevented from um, uh, getting to church on Sunday morning because he was, uh, Barbara would have to remind me, in Lawton maybe, back when he was in the uh, reserves. And we're all kind of sitting around wondering, what do we do? Well, another gifted man in the church got up and preached, you know? <coughs> So, something to think about. <clears throat> well, let's think a little bit now about what else Paul did for Onesimus. He, so he sends him back in the company of, an, of another prominent, uh, trusted, faithful brother. And I can just see this other brother, Onesimus, because that's a long way to travel. And you've got a lot of time to talk. You know, so there's a lot of encouragement going on along the way. But Onesimus has this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And in it, Paul is going to now um, not just kind of send Onesimus back empty-handed. He has this letter in which Paul is going to make an appeal for him to Philemon. He is, in essence, going to <clears throat> step into the role of a mediator. So let's think about uh, the theology of mediation. What is a mediator and when do you need one? Or maybe it's when do you need a mediator and what does a mediator do? Might be a better way to ask that. When you can't work it out on your own, when, you have two opposing sides. Okay, you got two Man, I can see your mind kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Something to help resolve the conflict. Right. Yeah. So you have these <clears throat> at least two parties, uh, and there's some disagreement. Okay. 
uh, and that <clears throat> they need to, to, to be reconciled. And so the mediator steps in, at least on a totally human level, will listen. I mean, I've just been through this. <laughs> you, you've got uh, the mediator. When we had uh, mediation for this issue we had with another company, we, I flew to Phoenix. Another partner flew from Madison to, to Phoenix and the other party. And we sat in a room, and the mediator said this. Uh, this is your best chance to work out your your um, issues before, short of going to court. Here you can actually determine what the outcome is. You go to court, you can't. It's all the judge's decision. I encourage you to um, um, work it out here. You have to work it out though. I have no authority. I want you to understand this. I have no authority to impose anything on you. All I can do is hear both sides, try to say to one side, this is what the other side is saying, um, and then I'll carry back a response. And so it's back and forth and back and forth. And in the meantime, the mediator is also saying to us, now this is what the other side says. You need to think about what he's saying. And this is his perspective on what you have done. His perspective. I mean, you know, we all come to a, a, a set of circumstances with our own perceptions about what has happened. So that, yeah, a mediator is going to try to step in and reconcile two parties that have some disagreement or something has now separated them. All right. So Paul's going to do that, but um, at the divine level, What's going on in mediation, and who's being who? Who are the parties being reconciled? Well, it's God and us, and Christ is the mediator. And in the Old Testament, uh, we had the pre-shadow, or Moses was the mediator. Right. And you had different lesser mediators. Yeah. So the ultimate, or pointing to Him as the one that goes for the people to God, right, and, and brings His word to us. Okay, so in uh, not thinking horizontally now, uh, we'll get to that because we'll, that's really what we're dealing with in the letter to Philemon is this horizontal uh, mediation. In the vertical mediation, <laughs> sinful man stands separated from holy God. And we can't reconcile ourselves to God. We need a mediator, right? Someone to step in to represent both parties and bring about peace and reconciliation and, if need be, figure out what payment is required to put the agreed party back. In a right relationship, and the one who has offended in, in, the, in a right relationship. So let's look at a couple of passages. Uh, Job chapter nine. And verses 30 to 35. 
Job 9, beginning in verse 30. If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with wire, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and I have, and my own clothes will abhor me. For he, speaking of God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. So the point here is, Job, not Job, or nor any other mortal man, is able to stand before God and turn away God's wrath and rod. And so we need a mediator to do that for us. Um, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. So that there is no mistake about who is the mediator between God and man. Verse 5, chapter 2. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And then look at also Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> And verse 15, therefore he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Okay? Um, since there is a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Um, okay, so pretty clear that uh, I trust that's nothing new <laughs> uh, for anyone here, that uh, we only are reconciled and have peace with God because Christ has mediated on our behalf. And he, has, he can, as it were, because he's both God and man, put his hands on both, like the cross, and mediate because he pays what is owing to God from us that we can't pay for ourselves. He's the one that justifies us and puts us back into a right relationship with God. One mediator, okay? Um, think about this in... Um, the case of Onesimus. <clears throat> Paul will step in and ask Philemon to receive Onesimus even as Philemon would receive Paul himself. And Paul adds the offer, if Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I will repay it. Well, don't you see 
Philemon's not, he, Paul is not giving a theological, uh, doctrinal teaching there about mediation. But he's really, it's all modeled on what Christ has done, right? Christ says to the Father, receive this poor sinner as you would receive me. And I'll pay everything that he or she owes you. I have paid it. And because of that, God the Father does receive the sinner. And there's peace <coughs> and reconciliation because Christ has mediated between God and man. Okay? That, that ought to ex excite you to worship. Um, again, this is what Paul did in a picture, okay? A picture of what Christ has done for the sinner. Paul does for Onesimus. Um, oh, we're out of time. I keep thinking this will be the last week. <laughs> um, Let's pick up there because there's still some things about mediation we want to think about. But still some things about Onesimus going back to Philemon, Philemon receiving him back. And then let's try to kind of wrap up what we've gleaned from this letter.